We've been in the series of God's voice and listening to God's voice and understanding that it's important for the Christ follower to be pursuing God's voice. Uh, and this morning, I hope to, to really unpack with you two very specific words, and Ms. Sue brought them up already, but condemnation and conviction. Both are very real, um, but as a Christ follower, how we respond, I believe, to God uh, is going to be, is understanding these two is going to help us in our response, in our worship of God. And um, so I, I have the point to give you before I actually give you the point, so that's how it's supposed to work. If you can remember this. When you walk out, condemnation in its basic form causes you to look at yourself. I'm going to break that down in just a minute. Condemnation is all about eyes on me. Conviction, eyes on Christ. Condemnation, don't get them confused. Condemnation, eyes on self. Conviction, eyes on Christ. So with that being said, what condemns you? What causes you to feel guilty? Uh, I just wrote a few things down, and this was, I didn't have to dig very deep. I was able to go, this is really on the surface stuff that I deal with every day. Uh, And if you haven't gotten your daily dose of Facebook condemnation, there's still time. You can go and run, be condemned by some people that think if you eat at McDonald's, you're mean and nasty, or if you, uh, if you gave, uh, if you use drugs during childbirth, you're mean and nasty. Um, If you uh, don't have the house that looks like the Pinterest wall, you're a terrible person. Um, If you aren't voting the way someone says you should, you're a terrible person. If you have this view or this belief, you are an awful human being. It's still, there's still time. There's plenty of Facebook for all of us to go around. So if you'd like to get your daily dose of Facebook condemnation, please go there now, and then we'll have something to talk about. Um, but for me, I'm kind of like my, my son Jude. I'll never forget it. I walked into his bedroom one time, and uh, I, I just walked into the room, and Jude was sitting on the floor playing, and he goes, Nothing! <laughs> I was like, What? What are you saying nothing for? I like, I just walked into the room. But I feel like as, uh, that's the way I roll in a lot of ways. I feel like I'm always looking over the shoulder. I'm going, oh man, not, no, nothing, God. I'm not up to anything. No, 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 no. I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't me. No, 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 no. But for you, what condemns you? What do you find yourself carrying guilt and condemnation for? For me, uh, I just wrote a couple of things down. Um, self-comparisons. I am terrible at comparing myself. And what I do, and this is the danger of comparison, and we don't realize we're doing it, but I take the worst of me and compare it with the best of somebody else. So I end up on the losing end every time. But I feel like, oh, I'm not that, so I'm terrible, or I'm this, or I'm that. The mirror, (laughs) the mirror condemns me. I look at my wedding photo, and I look at my mirror now, and wedding photo, uh, things are changing. I wake up sore after... You know, wrestling my two-year-old. <laughs> what about um, the success of others? You feel guilty. You feel condemned. You feel like you're not measuring up because you see other people succeed. I do. Um, public mistakes. The sin that you may have uh, been brought to your front, your face, and you've, you've done what it takes to reconcile with God and with people, but it still shows up at the most random moments. I don't know for you, but for me, typically those moments that it shows up is when I'm worshiping. It's like when I'm worshiping, I'm starting to go, wait, that stuff was already dealt with in the past, but man, it is hitting me hard right now, and I feel condemned. 
God, is that you? I know we deal with it. But what condemns you? Causes you to feel guilty? I know some of you have been waiting for me to say this one, but the church? Has the church ever condemned you? Have you ever felt the condemnation of you're not this, you're not that, you're not this? I have. And I know there are some of you going, yes, I can't, I'm so glad he's mentioning this. Oh, I am. Oh, yes, I hate those people. See, you're doing the same thing. You're condemning them, but that's for, no one likes to have that discussion. But what I'm saying is the church, the organization of people has been very good at condemning people for not living up to the standard that they think they're living up to. But the church, the bride of Christ, in humility says, we all don't measure up. But we all are loved more than we'll ever know. So what what condemns you? Where, Where does your guilt come from? Where does that wrestling with come at you from? The second question I have for you is, what do you do with it when it does come? When condemnation and when guilt come your way, what is your response? I think there are a couple of different ways we deal with guilt and condemnation. Number one, we believe it. We believe that we are nothing, that we are the very thing that we are being condemned for. We're not measuring up. We're not this. We're not that. And we begin to believe it and we begin to carry that weight. I think we also intellectualize it. We like to go, hmm, I don't necessarily know if I need to be feeling guilty for what I'm feeling guilty for. I mean, it was an old school rule. I don't feel, this is new school. I mean, what is truth anyways? Does it really matter if I feel guilty about this or not? I don't really know. I don't, I don't think it does. That person's worse than I am, so therefore, oh wait, no, I don't feel guilty because they're terrible. <laughs> you compare yourself, you intellectualize it. You know, in today's society, basically, we've said that all those things that we do feel guilty for, we shouldn't. They were old school rules and laws anyway. So you know what? Vices become virtues. And what I mean by that is, you know, greed was looked on as a deathly thing, as something that would kill a person. But now greed is described as self-starter, entrepreneurial, not greedy. We don't use greedy. You know, and when somebody commits... Adultery, it's not called adultery, they had an affair. If I'm doing my math, an affair is like a party, <laughs> celebration. I'm going to a black tie affair. We don't, we don't call things what they are. We call them other things because we're so modern. We try to intellectualize away our guilt and our condemnation. What about physically? We try and take care of guilt and condemnation physically. We're, we're nonstop at the gym. We're nonstop busy. We're drinking it away. We're smoking it away. We're doing whatever we can to just keep the condemnation from coming to mind. We stay busy. We talk, 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 talk. We're never still because if we're still, we'll start thinking the thoughts. So we keep ourselves very, very, very physically busy. We just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving because if I move, if I don't stop moving, I won't think about the guilt and condemnation. And then there's my least favorite one that we more than likely are taking on. And it's the religious way of dealing with guilt and condemnation. And by religious, what I mean is the stuff in my past is so bad, I'm going to have to work doubly hard to please God. So in your heart and in your mind, God has become a taskmaster, a slave master, a cruel one at that, because he's the one who supposedly keeps reminding you of all the times you've screwed up. But you're like, oh, but I'm just going to keep doing more good things, more good things, more good things. And maybe I'll balance my record of wrongs. Friends, if I can tell you, 
The Christian walk is not one of my record of wrongs being balanced with the record of rights. Faith in Christ clears the record of wrongs. Did you, did you hear that? I know that we struggle with it. It's very apparent because I see the church walking around like this. Like to be quite honest, this is the church in the United States. I know it's real. I know what we're dealing with. I know what we're chewing on. I'm one of those. But how do we battle it when it does come? And my prayer this morning is that you will battle it with Jesus. You will consider Jesus' way the best when it comes to dealing with guilt and condemnation because once and for all, he dealt with it. And what if the church began to believe he really did deal with my guilt, my shame, my condemnation, my punishment he took on himself? What if we believed that as the church? I think things would change. So if you have uh, your Bibles, you can open up to Romans or John chapter 8. I'm just going to read it to you because I believe the, the Scripture just does it, paints the picture. John chapter 8 is a hot chapter. And by hot, I mean people get ticked off at Jesus. Call him a Samaritan devil. They want to kill him. They want to arrest him. They question him. They say he's not who he says he is. But Jesus didn't do anything to aid them in that because he says some pretty harsh things to other people. He calls the Pharisees, you know, children of the devil. So that doesn't make these guys feel really good when all they're trying to do is work outside and please God when Jesus is like, nope, you guys are the devil. So, you know, it's a hot chapter. I would encourage you to read it. But he really does deal with unbelief in John chapter 8 in a very real way. And so we see this encounter. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but... Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up and again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Condemnation is that trap. And the trap of condemnation is it's all self-reliance. It's self-reliance. The condemnation that we feel, that we take on, that we wrestle with, we are going to stay stuck in. Because here's what happens with condemnation. One of two things happens with condemnation. Condemnation says you're a failure and you believe it. And you're like, I am terrible. I am an awful person. I have nothing to offer. I am what that guilt says I am. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Then there's the other end of condemnation who says, I'm not those things, and I'm going to prove condemnation wrong, and I'm going to put on my tights and cape, and I'm going to be super awesome at everything I do. And so it still remains about you. And this woman in her encounter with the Pharisees is completely trapped. She knows there is no way out from under this on her own. 
The story says she is caught in the act of adultery. And I really do believe in it. And I want to call the, the Pharisees not the religious, because we misuse the concept of a religious person as someone who is fanatic. The Bible says true religion is caring for the orphans and the widows, but it also continues, that same verse that everybody likes to quote, says it is also keeping oneself free from being defiled by the world. We don't like to quote that part. We like to quote the part about the social justice, but we don't like to quote the part that God has this standard out there that now his people look totally different. And so what we see in this encounter with this woman and the Pharisees is a very interesting trap. Because the Pharisees don't really care about her. In fact, you know, there are some that write that maybe the Pharisees set this woman up because that's why the man's not brought to them. Where's the dude? I mean, it takes two to tango if you know what I mean. He's nowhere to be found. Deuteronomy 22.22 says that if a man and woman are caught in adultery, they are to be killed, thus cleansing Israel from this evil. So both are supposed to be brought. They're not. And see, the Pharisees, they, did not, they, don't, they don't really present all the facts or all the details, and that's kind of how condemnation works. It doesn't mention anything great about you. It just mentions all the things you stink at. You're terrible at this. How could you this? doesn't present all the facts. Um, the Pharisees publicly humiliated her. They didn't do this when Jesus was alone. They did this in front of a lot of people, publicly humiliating her. Um, the, the scriptures describe them as the accusers. Was Jesus labeled the accuser in this story? Yes or no? Please say it like you believe it. Because he's not the accuser. There are some of you in this room who have this twisted view of God that he is the accuser, the one who continually condemns you and accuses you, even in Christ. you got to get that straight, folks. Because con condemnation really wants me to stay in my failure. Condemnation wants me to be identified by my mistakes. One of my favorite bands of all time, uh, Blindside, they wrote this song called Cute Boring Love. And in the lyric, he's talking about lust and love and the difference between the two. And, and he writes this lyric that says, The one thing that I hate most about me is the one thing you want to make your trademark. That is what condemnation does. Condemnation says you are nothing more than your failure. This woman, it was her worst day. I can guarantee you this is the worst day of that woman's life. And what condemnation does is it would have identified her by that failure. That's what condemnation does. And that is why the church walks around like this. So we don't have an accurate view of who Jesus is and how desperately he loves us. Jesus had other plans for this woman. Um, it's interesting to me that he kneels down and just starts writing in the dirt. You know, there are a lot of people who have theological views of what was Jesus writing? Did he draw like a Christian fish in the dirt or something? Did he, did he write like all of the Pharisees' worst sins out on the sand? I like to think he didn't write anything. I like to think Jesus just got down in the dirt and was like, this is going to make them so mad. <laughs> I like to think that Jesus gets down in the dirt and goes, they're going to have to wait for my answer, and it is going to tick them off. Because that's really all condemnation does, is all condemnation does is want an answer. Well, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do this? How have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? You haven't thought about this? I haven't thought about this? And it just never shuts up. And really, the Pharisees, that's where they're at. They're like, come on, Jesus, answer our question. Do, 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 do. 
I don't know how long he wrote in the sand for. But it was long enough because the, the Pharisees, it says that they were demanding an answer. They weren't messing around. And so Jesus is like, all right, all right. And the Pharisees are like, oh, yes, we got him. He said, all right. The people are going to hate him now. Because, see, their trap really involves saying, Jesus, if he said she's guilty and they stone her, his message of forgiveness is obsolete and the people will hate him. But if he says, no, don't stone her, we've got him because he hates God's law. So it's a trap. They really don't care. But Jesus says, all right. And so they're like, oh, yes, we got him now. But Jesus says, but. And then they're like, but what? And then he drops the knowledge. Okay, we can do this. We'll stone her. She's guilty. But the one of you without sin, throw the first stone. And I love how the scripture paints this picture. It says that one by one, they started to leave, starting with the oldest. Now, those of you in this room who are wiser in your days, you would have been like, oh, yeah, (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I know how I've lived, and I've lived pretty rough. (laughs) But you know what I think? I think there were some young Pharisees standing around going, hmm, no, wait, there is that one time I sinned. And I'm absolutely convinced, don't tell my six-year-old this, I think if Zeke was a Pharisee, then he would have thrown the rock. Because when you're young, you're foolish. <laughs> I mean, you can be old and be foolish too, but when you're young, you still think, oh, I haven't done anything wrong. Oh, I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm still perfect. I still got it all together. See, when you're older and wiser, you're like, <laughs> rock probably should have fallen on my head. But you see, the thing about Jesus' response is the one, the only one in this scene that could have condemned this woman, because as a Christ follower, I see in scriptures that they declare that Jesus is sinless. He was tempted in every way that man has been tempted, but without sin, meaning he kept God's law perfectly, and he was the only one who could have condemned this woman. And what did he do? He did not. And here's the thing. Was he being light on sin? I don't think so. In fact, I think he was understanding why he came in a way we'll never get. He said, does anybody else accuse or condemn you in this moment? No, Lord, no one. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You know, I joke about what did Jesus write in the sand? What did he sit down? What did he squat down and write and scribble in the dirt? What did he do? You know, and, you know, I, I, I like to think maybe he started writing down Old Testament scriptures about himself. Maybe he got down in the dirt and started writing this picture in Isaiah chapter 53. For those of you who don't know much about the Bible, these verses that are going to describe Jesus to the T were written hundreds of years before he even stepped on the scene. But he was pierced for our rebellion Crushed for our sins, he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, 
he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Jesus understood that he could stamp her with not guilty because he was going to be stamped with guilty on our behalf. He could stamp her as not condemned because he was going to be stamped as condemned on our behalf. Jesus was not sweeping her sin under the rug. Colossians chapter 2 says this, You were dead. It doesn't say you were kind of dead. It says you were completely dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Friends, your permanent record that we're all so scared about, I've never seen my permanent record before, just so we're clear. Um, I, I, it probably has marks in it that I don't know exist. I don't know, it's probably some, somewhere in some basement. But it wasn't all of my record was written down on a piece of paper and that nail, that was nailed to the cross. Friends, please do not be misled. Jesus was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross on our behalf, knowing that he was going to be the one to take the adulterer's punishment, to take the murderer's punishment, to take the molester's punishment, to take the liar's punishment, to take the greedy punishment, to take whatever you can think of. He took that punishment on our behalf. That's how he can say to her, not guilty, not condemned. And friends, I am telling you, when you understand this good news, everything changes. To understand that because of what Christ has done on the cross, his finished work, I bear the not guilty stamp not condemned stamp, not because of what I'm capable of, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. That causes worship. Here's the thing. I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that conviction sends us. First of all, it sends us to God. Conviction causes you to look at Christ Condemnation causes you to look at yourself. Condemnation causes you to keep your eyes down and go, there is no hope. But conviction presents the opportunity to repent and return to God, which gives hope that there is something different, there is something better. Condemnation, a cruel slave master. Conviction, a loving father that says, no, you were looking at something, but that's not best. Let's look over here. Let's look at Christ. Because to be quite honest, it's very interesting to me what the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit came to convict the sin of the world. In John chapter 16, and it'll be on the screen for you, I want, to, I want you to see what the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So he's filling us in that stuff is coming. 
And there's something that has to change in us. Notice verse 9. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. I told you that John chapter 8 is a chapter all on unbelief and Jesus dealing with people's unbelief. And the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is one who invites us to belief. It's unlike any other God. Little gods invite people to serve and work and, 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 and work really hard and do more things and do more good things. The God of the scriptures says, I just want you to believe me. It's because when you believe me, the things change. And so when I look at the scriptures and I see this woman's encounter with the Lord, Romans 2.4 comes to my mind. And you guys can just see it on the screen, but I want you to consider all the questions that Paul asks in Romans chapter 2. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Did this woman experience the kindness of God? Yes or no? And then he said, go and sin no more. You see, religion says you get the not guilty stamp at the end of your life because you've done enough not sinning, not doing bad things. Christ says, faith in me, not guilty stamp, now go and live. And in that living, there will be conviction of sin. And may I warn you as the church, when you choose to ignore the conviction of sin in your life, you are headed in a very dangerous direction. And it is the Lord's kindness trying to lead you back to him. He is not the one condemning and telling you to stay stuck in your garbage. He's the one saying, come back. In fact, I will meet you on the way back. That's the picture we see in scripture. We try and muster up the energy to take one step and God's like, boom. Because he knows we're, we're trying to turn. We're trying to head back. And I'm absolutely convinced that when conviction is present, it is the Lord saying, look, what you're investing your life in is not best. Why don't we look at what's best? I know what's best. I made you. I love you. I don't want to see you destroyed. I don't want to see you give your life to things that will ultimately kill you. That is what a loving father does. The enemy, a cruel slave master, keeps you squashed. Conviction of sin is a very good thing and it is a gift for all believers. The band is going to come and we're going to close our time together just worshiping. And I want you to understand something very simply. Um, Augustine, one of the early theological writers of the day, he said in this story of, uh, of this woman and Jesus... He said, at the end of the story, there were two people left, an unhappy woman and compassion incarnate. And I love how in the scriptures it says that the Pharisees left, all of the religious folks scattered, and it was just Jesus and this woman. But it was in public too, which I found interesting. Jesus didn't pull her aside and say, go and sin no more, young lady in front of a crowd of people, the same crowd that she was publicly shamed, she was publicly reinstated. She was publicly introduced as clean, as forgiven. And it was because Jesus was going to take the punishment that she so deserved. He wasn't sweeping it under the rug, but he was doing justice because he would meet the demands of God. 
And I know that may sound crazy that God put a demand on us that only He could meet, but it's such good news to know that He wanted to meet that demand. My prayer this morning is that you'll consider Jesus. You'll stop trying to deal with guilt and condemnation the world's way, knowing that it's going to lead you to more guilt and condemnation. And you'll look at Jesus and you'll listen to his voice and understand that every time we choose sin, we're choosing to believe that Jesus is lesser. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit grabs us around the arms and says, no, 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 not that way. This is the way. Walk in it. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're demonstrating the kindness of God in this, in this story to this woman who was caught in the very act. Jesus, your word says that even while we were still sinning, God sent you at just the right time to die for our sins. This woman knew the exact moment that that was about. In her sin, guilty, condemned, but she looks at you and believes, not guilty.